Welcome to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. My name is Dave Mons. I'm a student of psychology and philosophy and a professional pilot. My aim is to share big ideas from science and the humanities to get you thinking and to help you make sense of the world. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day thou canst not then be false to any man. Twelve months ago, I published episode 25, Lying. And in that episode, I explored the ways we lie, from the little white ones to the big, life-changing ones. And I talked about why, as intrinsic as lying is to our humanity, it's always a bad idea. There's another term which is closely associated with lying, but it extends beyond what we say to what we do. Integrity. Integrity speaks to whether you live your life with honesty, whether you uphold the values you espouse, whether you truly practice what you preach. But just as with lying, integrity is often fluid and dynamic. This may sound like a contradiction, but as we'll see, integrity, like all emotions and mental states, is not an absolute. Life is really black and white. No one is ever perfect. No one can be perfect. That is the price we pay for our vulnerability as humans. The best we can hope for is to try to listen to that feeling of discomfort that comes from our lack of integrity, our lies that we tell ourselves and others, that feeling of discomfort. It has a name too. Hypocrisy. As we discovered in our exploration of language, meaning can only exist in relation to its opposite. Therefore, to understand integrity, we need also to understand hypocrisy. These words and their meanings lie at opposite ends of a spectrum. To act with integrity is to act in the best interest at all times, even if not in one's personal interest. It's to value truth and honesty above all else. Hypocrisy is none of these things. It is to say one thing and to do another. It is to act in contravention of what one says. It is to lack honour and to undermine trust. But what if integrity is not so pure or hypocrisy not so immoral? What if life just isn't so simple? We must never lie, plain and simple. But there's that knock at the door again. The murderer has returned and he is looking for someone, someone who lives in your house. What moral battleground exists within each of us as we weigh the value of our integrity with the need to lie to conceal the truth? A life is at stake if we are honest as integrity demands that we must be. Then by speaking the truth, we would condemn that person to death. In this case, we can easily convince ourselves that honesty is not the best policy. To be a hypocrite is the righteous thing to do. The murderer does not deserve truth. Morality lies in the greatest good, not in the invitation to be good that confronts our every choice. This is Kant's categorical imperative. This example leaves us little wiggle room between black and white for there will always be a place for hypocrisy in a moral world. It's nested within those shades of grey. So just how far should we push those limits? Let's first consider what we mean by integrity. There are two definitions for integrity defined by the Merriam-Webster online dictionary. The first says, as firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values. Incorruptibility. 
This meaning sounds so precise and definitive that it suggests the example I just gave can never be true. To act with integrity is to be unflinchingly true. Political scientist Ruth W. Grant describes such a person as so, quote, inflexible in his righteousness and unwillingness to countenance any moral lapse, he scarcely recognizes the necessity for compromise, end quote. The French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau believed in this version of integrity. He believed that fundamentally, people are good. Good is not found by suppressing a tendency for evil and dishonesty. The natural state of a human being is good. It is due to the social pressures of life that cause us to stray into sin. To have integrity, then, is to express our normal moral resting state, to exist as our true selves in spite of the corrupting forces around us. Such a view of integrity fulfills Merriam-Webster's second definition, an unimpaired condition, the quality or state of being complete or undivided. Thought of in Rousseau's conception, integrity is the wholeness of our humanity, where we are complete. Such a romantic notion has a distinctive aroma. It doesn't smell right. Do we really believe that we are inherently good, that integrity is our natural state? There are those who would argue that integrity is not a quality that will lead to success. Even if it may be pure and righteous, integrity is in fact weakness and will only allow others to take advantage of us. Hypocrisy in this conception is merely a tool to be exploited, lest integrity make us vulnerable to those who would wish to deceive us. One famous proponent of such a view was the Renaissance political philosopher Niccolò Machiavelli. Machiavelli is so famous for his perspective that his name has become an adjective in our modern vocabulary. To be Machiavellian is to be deceitful, cunning and unprincipled. Machiavelli embodies the opposite of integrity, which he saw as a virtue because to be successful, one must employ a variety of tactics, including hypocrisy. Machiavelli wrote extensively on this in his famous work from 1532 called The Prince. The philosopher Nigel Warburton describes The Prince as, at best, a handbook for gangsters or, to others, the most accurate account ever written of what actually happens in politics. Machiavelli considered virtue as part luck, part wit. To act with prudence and cunning was necessary to achieve one's aims. If that meant deceiving one's opponent to such a degree that they lost their life, then so be it, for victory should be won at all costs. If it meant manipulating others, then that was worth it too. Machiavelli writes of the Roman leader Caesar Borgia. He'd appointed a man by the name of Duorco, and as a commander for a region that had recently taken power of. Nigel Warburton gives us a description of the story that Machiavelli tells. He says, quote, Diorco terrified the people of Romagna into obeying him. But once Romagna had calmed down, Borgia wanted to distance himself from Diorco's cruelty. So he had him murdered, and left his body cut into two pieces in the city square for everyone to see. The people were glad that Orco was dead, but realised that Borgia must have ordered it. They then feared Borgia more than Diorco, as if he would do that to his own commander, then no one was safe. Machiavelli thought this was the precise way to lead, not for the sake of violence, but for the sake of achieving the necessary end of pacifying the populace and commanding through fear and respect. End quote. Contrary to Rousseau, Machiavelli was a cynic, believing that humans were, by nature, 
greedy, and dishonest. To act with integrity, or to believe in the good of people, only opens one up to be taken advantage of. Can't beat him, join him, was the way to go, as far as Machiavelli was concerned. To be savvy, one must be part cunning fox, part brute lion. Both qualities are necessary, but most important is to manipulate what people think so the truth of who and what you are is never revealed. But let's go back even further. Machiavelli is perhaps one of history's most misunderstood philosophers. His goal was not to deceive for its own sake. What he really sought was political stability. Throughout his life, he had seen many leaders come and go, and few impressed him. So he set about writing a handbook for new princes on how they should lead. The Prince is that little book. And in it, he describes many aspects of the conduct of leadership and the perils of leading with too much integrity. As he writes in this passage, quote, Liberality, exercised in a way that does not bring you the reputation for it, injures you. For if one exercises it honestly, and as it should be exercised, it may not become known, and you will not avoid the reproach of its opposite. If he is wise, he ought not to fear the reputation of being mean. End quote. Machiavelli's advice is entirely pragmatic. He does not condone cruelty or evil for its own sake. Rather, he asserts that to pretend that it does not exist and that it will not be used by one's enemies would be naive. So while a prince should aspire to the most virtuous of qualities, it is prudent to know well those less virtuous but powerful. The trick is in how they are used and who a prince is seen to be. One of his most well-known passages says, quote, If we consider everything carefully, we discover that some qualities which appear to have virtue would, if practiced, spell his downfall. Other qualities appear to be vices, but when practiced, they secure his safety and well-being. End quote. I raise this topic not because I think integrity is a bad thing or that we should um, give up our integrity, but because I like to challenge our assumptions and, and our norms. I'd, I'd like to help you to see a little further and dig a little deeper. Integrity is one of those hallowed qualities of virtue which has no equal. It represents many other virtues like honesty, trust and all the rest. Yet Machiavelli attempts to show us that to act with total integrity always may not actually lead us to what we desire or what is desired of us. If we are to be successful, we must engage in a bit of skullduggery from time to time. Our values and ethics dictate to us what we deem to be the appropriate way to conduct ourselves through life. They are different for each of us, and they're dynamic. We may be the most principled, honourable person when all is well, but when under pressure, we may look for shortcuts or an easy way out. Integrity, then, defines what we do in those hardest of circumstances. Machiavelli may be like the little devil on our shoulder, urging us to behave like a fox. Whether we choose to listen is a question of our integrity. However, the reality we think we are living is not really reality. We just aren't programmed to see the world objectively when we are the central character in our play. We easily and regularly alter our perspective to suit our sense of identity and the circumstances we find ourselves in. This is an adaptive mechanism inherent to our psychology that helps us to survive emotionally and physically. It extends from how we reconcile our inevitable death to our belief that bad things won't happen to us or or to the way that we attribute good things to our own talents and bad things to just bad luck or an unfair world. Integrity is among those aspects of our personality that bends and flexes to accommodate our ego. How can we ever really act with absolute integrity 
when the way we see ourselves in different situations in our lives is so subjective and fickle. What we may think of as acting with integrity may be construed in an entirely different way by someone else who is not privy to our inner monologue or the myriad moments and experiences that came before the last choice we made. We may even let down a past version of ourselves or one yet to come. We touched on that idea in episode 47 on regret. Professor of Law and Philosophy David Lubin says that if your conduct conflicts with your principles, you modify your principles. Literally hundreds of social psychology experiments have shown that when our beliefs clash with our conduct, our beliefs change and we don't even notice it. The social psychologist Leon Festinger developed a theory to describe this behaviour. He called it cognitive dissonance. It reflects that uneasiness we sense when we compromise our integrity. It occurs when our feelings, thoughts and behaviours are not aligned. We may say something but feel a different way or act one way even though we think differently about it. That dissonance between our thoughts and feelings and how we actually behave creates a sense of unease which we act quickly to reconcile. While we may be aware of that sense of unease, oftentimes we are not. The change happens so quickly. We transmute ourselves into another version of ourselves which aligns with our behaviour. One of Festinger's early examples of cognitive dissonance comes from his observations of a cult who were expecting a UFO to arrive on a particular date. When it didn't arrive, members of the cult quickly developed a new narrative to reconcile events. The thought that what they believed was actually wrong was too much to manage psychologically, so they told themselves a new story in which all of the pieces fit together. This may sound ridiculous, but you probably did the same thing today when you ate that cookie or skipped that workout or lied to your spouse. You might have said, I wasn't lying about eating the last cookie, I thought you said you didn't want it. When we lie, cheat, deceive or otherwise compromise our integrity, we may feel that dissonance, or we may not. People often say things like, I couldn't live with myself. That's what cognitive dissonance feels like. Yet, as with many things, integrity often stands on shaky ground. One tiny, insignificant slip here or a liberty taken there soon becomes normalised and our integrity is eroded. Over time, we can become so used to our lies and deceits that when we are eventually found out, we are shocked that others find something wrong with our behaviour. We've long since rationalised it to ourselves. Somewhere along the way, our morals and integrity fell by the wayside. We were just being pragmatic, making the best of it. It's a dog-eat-dog world after all. The low road is open to all of us. But we don't realise that we've lost integrity. As David Lubin says, quote, It's a kind of integrity in which my beliefs always rationalise my actions after the fact, and in which I therefore automatically inhabit the best of all possible moral worlds, the world of my own inevitable righteousness. End quote. Nietzsche wrote of this in his classic work, Beyond Good and Evil, when he said, quote, I have done that, says my memory, I cannot have done that, says my pride, and remains inexorable. Eventually, memory yields. End quote. So where does this leave us? On the one hand, Machiavelli tells us that integrity might sound nice, but in practice, it will just make us lambs in a field surrounded by wolves. And due to our cognitive dissonance, even if we act without integrity, we won't even realise it much of the time. Yet integrity is a virtue we hold in such high regard. It is an ideal that is seemingly unattainable in reality. We are just too human to truly act with integrity. 
So should we just give up on integrity and embrace hypocrisy? Except that we're only human, so what the hey, let's just do whatever. Despite this conflict, integrity remains a highly valued quality. We put many in our communities and societies on a pedestal because we hold them in such high regard. We trust them with our lives, our health, our secrets. Year after year, the list of the most trusted people in a nation stays about the same. It includes doctors, nurses, teachers, judges, professors, scientists. These are the jobs that people do which we trust. We see these people as representative of integrity. Behind each of these professions, though, is a human. A fallible, vulnerable, imperfect human. Many of these professionals, certainly the medical ones, take a Hippocratic Oath, which includes the famous phrase, among others, to do no harm. Sadly, though, there have been many disturbing accounts of doctors or nurses who deliberately caused harm to their patients, but these are an exception. But what about the doctor who has flown business class to a conference at a five-star resort hosted by a leading pharmaceutical company? All she needs to do is promote a particular brand of drug, a more expensive one than is necessary, and she'll get a cut of the sale, a slice of the pie. Is that acting with integrity? In many countries, this practice is outlawed. Doctors are not trusted to act with integrity, so there is a law against it. We perceive the profession as being highly trustworthy, yet governments and institutions are not willing to take the chance, so they mandate integrity. What then is to become of the rest of us further down the integrity totem pole? Do we give up on integrity, accept it as a lost cause, something we fool ourselves into thinking that we can have? You know the answer. I might be challenging the narrative, but I'm not going to rewrite it. Just as with lying, we must accept the hypocrisy that lives within. We are human, and being human means to be both the kindest and caring person, but also the most selfish and deceitful. We can't help it. This is the dichotomy of our psychology. It is why the hardened terrorist can love his own children, but would kill as many of those whom he hates as he can. And it's why I would tell you to unblue in the face what I think is right, but then do the wrong thing in spite of myself and quickly rationalise why I acted in the way that I did. If this sounds extreme, it is because we are extreme. We're extreme of character, given the right circumstances. You may have heard of the Stanford Prison Experiment conducted by the psychologist Philip Zombardo in 1971. Zombardo and his colleagues enlisted a group of undergraduate students for the experiment. They built a mock prison in the basement of the campus, and the students were split into two groups, guards and inmates. These were just regular, everyday college students. None had any previous experience of the roles which they were assigned to play. Just one day into the experiment, the guards began to torment their prisoners, and five were soon released due to the emotional stress and anxiety of the experience. Then on day two, there was a revolt, which the guards had to suppress using fire extinguishers. Prior to the experiment, one student who would go on to become a guard wrote in his diary, quote, I'm a pacifist and non-aggressive individual. I cannot see a time when I might maltreat other living things. End quote. Five days into the experiment, that same student wrote, quote, This new prisoner refuses to eat. That is a violation of Rule 2. Prisoners must eat at mealtimes, and we are not going to have any of that kind of shit. Obviously, we have a troublemaker on our hands. If that's the way he wants it, that's the way he gets it. We throw him into the hole, ordering him to hold greasy sausages in each hand. After an hour, he still refuses. I decide to force feed him, but he won't eat. I let the food slide down his face. 
I don't believe it is me doing it. I just hate him more for not eating. End quote. Those involved in the experiment became so immersed in their roles that it had to be stopped. There's a 2015 film which dramatises the whole study. It's called The Stanford Prison Experiment. It's, it's worth a watch. The results of the experiment begged the question, who are we? Are we who we think we are? Some individual identity shaped by our genes drifting through life? Or are we much more pliable and easily influenced by social forces which offer us roles to play which we readily adopt? Think back to Stanley Milgram's obedience experiments which I talked about in episode 20. We may feel like our integrity is a pillar of our ethics and values, but again, we see that the reality is not so cut and dry. We are easily manipulated because, more than anything, we want to fit in. The pressure to conform to social expectations is so strong that we hardly notice it. More than our sense of duty to ourselves and others is our need to fit in. No one wants to be left out, ostracized and alienated. Integrity, then, comes in two distinct flavours. There's the purer form that lies at the end of the high road, where we act with honour and in the interest of what is right and just. And then there's the lesser form of, say, pseudo-integrity, which we are more familiar with, even if we don't actually know it. That's the one where we think we're a good person who does the right things for the right reasons, but we're simply telling ourselves a story to ease the dissonance that makes us uneasy. Of course, we'd prefer to act with the first type of integrity, but the second type is all around us. So how can we be attuned to that slippery slope of cognitive dissonance where we rationalise our behaviour? An important tactic is to keep an eye out for that feeling of unease. It might sometimes be elusive, but we can see it in its different guises. Here's an example. When we blame someone or something else for our actions, that's when it's time to stop and take note. That is the fox convincing us that we have our integrity. It must have been something external that caused it to happen like this. This is known as a fundamental attribution error, and we can take it as a warning sign that we are heading down the low road. Next, remember Shakespeare's famous line from Hamlet, which I read at the beginning of this episode, to thine own self be true. We need to listen to how what we say on the outside sounds on the inside. Are we really telling the truth? Do we really know? Do we really believe our own bullshit? Be alert, because no one is more easily taken in by your bullshit than you are. You're great at it. But stop. Listen carefully. Don't believe it, because you know you don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to not be right, to not know, to make a mistake, and to apologize, and to be authentically vulnerable. To act in any other way is to forsake integrity. And what is left when integrity is lost? but a hollow shell, and others see straight through it. It's a long road back to the high ground. Integrity might sound more complicated to you now after listening to this episode, but don't be fooled. To do the right thing, while hard, is always the easiest answer to see. It is the temptation of the low road that makes it seem hard. Take the high road. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to keep up to date with all of the latest episodes. And if you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon or leave a review at the Apple Podcasts app. 
you can reach out to me via the pages or email theherenow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.